What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins. It is the Friday, February 25th episode of the show. It's also power to the pod, which means it's your questions, your hot takes, your topics pertaining to your Miami Dolphins. What you want to talk about it, we're talking about it today on the show. So tap in. Let's get after it. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Let's go. Power to the pod. Friday. We made it. The end of another week here on Locked on Dolphins. We finished our 2021 appraisal uh, for both the offensive and defensive side of the football. We looked at early peak at free agency. Next week's going to be a whole lot of NFL combine talk because yours truly is going to be out with the draft network uh, for NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Looking forward to that. I'm your host here on Locked on Dolphins, Kyle Krabs. Lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. Director of Scouting at thedraftnetwork.com. want to thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. And if you're watching Power to the Pod on YouTube today, important programming note. I know you're used to these things being live, uh, but this is a pre-recorded show. I want to tell you guys up front so you can get rowdy in the chat if you want, but please just know we had such a backlog of iTunes reviews this week's episode. We are keeping it dialed in on reviews. We got a lot of ground to cover. I cannot promise I'm going to cover them all. And two weeks ago on the show on Power of the Pod, uh, I had promised that anybody who left a review of the show and included in their review for Power of the Pod a time in which we had respectfully disagreed, we were going to be doing a Dolphins merch drawing. That's going to happen next week in Indianapolis. So I'm giving you through the end of the day today to make sure those reviews get in. They're going to be anything submitted on the 25th or earlier is going to be included. So you guys have all day today to leave that review. Make sure you get in on the merch drawing as well. As far as what we are drawing for, well, let's just say I have a budget and whoever wins, I might tell you to go pick something out within that budget that you like and send it to you. So who knows? Could be you. Could be you. Could be you. Only one way to find out. Leave a review a time that you respectfully disagreed with me on the show and then a question for Power to the Pop. So with that in mind, uh, I do not have any topical stuff to dive into. First, going to just jump right into iTunes reviews. There's probably 15 to 20, <laughs> to 20 of them. I can't promise we're going to hit all of them today, um, but anybody who does leave the review will be left uh, into the drawing. The first one comes from Anders, who I've seen a couple of times here in the reviews and want to say cheers to you. It's just just black tea. Don't get too excited, guys. And Anders left two-part question, one of which I kind of dived into last week. The other one I thought was interesting. Uh, do you ever wonder what the fate of the franchise would be for the Dolphins if they had moved to the AFC South and the Colts had stayed in the East? This is Anders talking, not me. To be clear, I'm glad we're in the East. Wins are always welcome, but victory against the past Jets and Bills is that much sweeter. That said, it could be fun to revisit the franchise-altering decisions of the past and ponder how many things would have turned out differently. Uh, I think about this all the time, and I am much less sentimental than you. I would have loved to have been in the division with the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Tennessee Titans. That life sounds great versus playing for the last 20 years since the divisional split happened, of course, the rise of the New England Patriots dynasty 
and now the Buffalo Bills being what they are and how difficult they are to defeat. Uh, With the way the scheduling works out, you'd play every team within that division every three years, and you'd play at least one of them every year. So it's not like that rivalry would have been gone. But, yeah, I can think of at least three, probably four teams over this same stretch of time that if the Dolphins were in the AFC South instead of in the AFC East, they'd have probably been playoff uh, participants, and, and who knows what would have happened if that was the case. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Just think about it at night and stare at the ceiling and ponder reality. Um, another one from, I'm just going to call you Diesel. I'm not going to read your full username. Um, uh, but wants to know if we should be campaigning for Jake Long or John Offerdahl as Pro Football Hall of Fame participants, given the fact that Tony Paselli has finally made it in. Uh, the, the ultimate question, they kept T.O. out for a year because he was a diva. What is the reason for Zach Thomas's annual snub? So, forgive me, I don't remember the guy's name that got in this year, the linebacker from Carolina, Sam Mills. Sam Mills apparently got in this year because it was his last year of modern era eligibility. And I think that's a very important note for us to make is the thought process of a lot of Hall of Fame voters across all pro sports leagues is effing dumb. It's dumb. And it's not, it, it's optics and politics and making a guy wait, but then a guy's waited long enough and we don't want to punish him to get him outside of this era of induction. So we're going to vote him in this year when he's not the best candidate at that position. If you were to tell me that Zach Thomas didn't make it this year, and it was because you found five better candidates than him. So be it. But I don't know how you look at Sam Mills's resume and Zach Thomas's resume, and you say, yeah, we're going to put a linebacker in, and we're going to put Sam Mills in over Zach Thomas. It doesn't make any sense. And I think anybody with two eyeballs on any level of common sense uh, can see that. But unfortunately, the Pro Football Hall of Fame voting, as we have seen, doesn't always win with common sense. The next one comes from Schultze, my guy, Adam. How's it going, man? Uh, Adam's question. Well, first of all, he starts with some very, very kind words, uh, but then also includes, I had the chance to meet Kyle at a game this past season, and he's extremely down to earth and wants to connect with as many fans as possible. My question for Power of the Pod, being that the Dolphins have hired Mike McDaniel from the Shanahan tree, Do you think there is any way the team targets a more established veteran at the running back position like Zeke Fournette? I know that in the history of this scheme, backs aren't invested much going all the way back to the sixth round investment of Terrell Davis in Denver. I do think there's some merit in getting a do it all back in this system. Goes on to provide a couple of, of examples of times that we disagreed, including the Xavier Howard trade talks in the summer and um, Jamar Chase versus Jalen Waddell at number three versus what the Dolphins ended up doing. So, yeah, I, I think here's what I wouldn't do if I was Miami. I wouldn't go out and get a $10 million a year running back. So I know one of my coworkers at TDN, uh, Damian Parson, had suggested, you know, Saquon Barkley would be really good. I don't know what Saquon Barkley's trade package is going to be, but I know – his investment is going to be met with a contract decision and he's already not due a little amount of money. He's due a lot of money and he's durability is a problem. If you got durability problems 
I'm not investing big in you. And that's not to say I wouldn't sign Raheem Mostert to a two-year, $4 million deal when he's had injuries the last two years. That's one thing. But dra- trading draft capital and then bringing in an upper echelon salary at the position, not for me. That's not going to be for me. So um, I would be interested in teams like Los Angeles. You know, what are you doing with Daryl Henderson? You drafted Cam Akers. Cam Akers came back this season from an Achilles tear. You drafted Daryl Henderson the year prior in the third round. Daryl Henderson is an interesting back for me because I did his evaluation coming out of University of Memphis. He's a good football player. But the team doubled down and went out and got a physical guy. Okay, well, we need somebody who could press the edge. What is Daryl Henderson potentially available for? Uh, I don't know what Dallas is appetite is for a contract extension for Tony Pollard, but they've obviously got Zeke, uh, Zeke Elliott under contract. And that was like a six year, $90 million contract that they gave him. They have to work with the cap to kind of manipulate and, and give themselves some space. And Tony Pollard's getting ready to go into a contract year. Are you able to sign Tony Pollard long-term? Because if the answer is no, or you don't want to, or you think you can replace him because you're stuck with Zeke for a period of time, What's Tony Pollard available for? I think there's opportunities to kind of find those log jams and potentially make a move, but I don't know that an upper echelon guy at the position, uh, you mentioned Zeke Elliott, who I would be interested in, but again, the salary is going to be a really hard pill to swallow. Can you restructure it? I don't know. What would Dallas want for Zeke Elliott? I wouldn't give more than like a five for him if we're being honest with how run down he's looking physically but let's give credit where credit due Zeke Elliott is probably the best pass protecting running back in the NFL and that's a big thing that matters to me because we as we saw this season Miles Gaskin uh, was supposed to be that guy and he regressed severely in that capacity and it tanked his value to the Dolphins Dan Esquire Kyle you asked for it for here it is I respectfully disagree that any of the current backs on the roster should be back Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on it. I respect it. Bring in either or Raheem Mostert or Jeff Wilson from San Francisco, a rookie, and promote Jared Dokes for his pass blocking chops. Big fan of the show. Um, only thing I'm not sure on here is Jared Dokes and relying on him for pass protection. I didn't see a great deal of that at since I saw a physical runner. But I think if Jared Dokes was good in pass pro, we probably would have seen him at some point the year because it was supposed to be Malcolm Brown's job. Supposed to be Miles Gaskin and then Malcolm Brown. They tried to give it to Malcolm Brown because Miles Gaskin wasn't doing it. And then Malcolm Brown got banged up and nobody really did. And then it was Duke Johnson and Philip Lindsay. And they're the guys that got in there and stuck their nose in there. So I don't know that we can really rely on Dokes for pass pro. That might be uh, an open-ended to be determined for me. What's not to be determined is football season is over, but basketball is full steam ahead for both pro and college hoops. Get all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fire coach is going to land at betonline.net. It's the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your scores, podcasts, and news this season, but it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds as well. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. The next 
question comes from E-Rock. Love the pod. And it is your first Dolphins listen every day. My guy, E-Rock. I love it. Now that McDaniel's offensive staff is pretty much set, how would you compare the clarity of vision and staff compared to last year? Okay. And I know there's some scheme questions ahead, too, in reviews as well. But um, I, I think one thing that I can appreciate about the coaching staff this year is the clarity in roles. There's no mystery on who's calling plays. Mike McDaniel has already said, I'm going to call plays instead of the what's behind door number one, door number two, and door number three uh, that we played last year with Charlie Fry, uh, George Godsey, and Eric Studisville. Uh, I appreciate that some of the more well-respected coaches uh, from a player's perspective are back. You know, it was a willingness to get outside of one's personal bubble, which I think was one of the issues with Coach Flores. Uh, he didn't have a lot of success in, in going about it that way in, in getting different assistant coaches from different teams other than his own established inner circle. Um, I think the ability to tap into the existing coaching staff and coaching staffs from multiple teams across the league is a win uh, for the Dolphins. And, and the vision is pretty clear, right? You know, this is going to be an extension of the Shanahan tree, and that should not be a surprise to anybody. Schematically and system-wise, I feel really good about that application to the Dolphins because they're going to have an opportunity to invest a lot into their offensive personnel. The magic question is, how much better can you get the running game in the offensive line in one offseason? And, oh, by the way, you got to make a decision on Mike Kosecki slash your, your primary tight end. I know J Coach Embry spoke to somebody this week, and it was mentioned that the, the tight ends are an integral part of the running game in this system. I don't think we have a starter in that role at this point in time. Now, maybe it's Hunter Long, but I think it'd be foolish to put all your eggs in the Hunter Long basket. So I, I certainly think there's a more – sustainable offensive model versus what there was last year and how that manifests itself on the field is really going to be determined by how good um, their roster overhaul is on that side of the ball. One thing I do know is they're going to be willing to spend. And another thing I do know is they're going to gravitate towards players that Mike McDaniel wants. And that's very important because for three years, they gravitated towards players, the, the football operations gravitated towards players that Brian Flores wanted. So the offensive vision, you've got a new head coach with a new vision for the team. They're going to shop for those groceries for that recipe. And that's important to remember because I know there's a lot of Dolphins fans who are frustrated or skeptical with Chris Greer. From a talent evaluation perspective, I think Chris Greer is fine. They got a lot of really respected player evaluators in the building from Chris to Marv Allen to Reggie McKenzie. I mean, they, they, there's a lot of really re well-respected talent evaluators in this room for the Dolphins. So they've just, they've gone out and got a new recipe for what they're shopping for. Uh, man who can't even play from Australia left a review. Uh, he actually loved the Aussie accent. I know I got some flack for the Aussie accent uh, the other week. 
his question is, should the Dolphins be looking at wide receiver Mike Williams as a free agent? I think he would be a great fit. Uh, so I was impressed by Mike Williams' growth this year as a player. Uh, some of the questions with Mike durability is a concern. Uh, so I certainly don't think there's room for him and Devontae Parker on the roster. But if you need a big body guy, you want a big physical guy, a guy who can win vertically down the field. But this past year in Los Angeles showed a little bit more of an ability to work the middle of the field and be more present in shorter, shorter, shallow routes. Uh, Mike Williams is not a bad option by any means. So I think that that's an interesting name to consider, but they would have to decide what they want to do with Devontae Parker first. Chad, Miami Dolphins. I've not read this review yet, so uh, because it's a long one, but it's a five-star power to the pod title, so we got to do it. Kyle, I started listening to Draft Dudes last year. It's a great show from your work there. You obviously have experience assessing different types of offensive linemen, schemes, and fits, and how that will translate to the NFL. I was wondering if you could walk through the linemen on our roster and evaluate which of the current players you think would be able to adapt to a Shanahan wide zone blocking scheme. It's my understanding that for this scheme, you want athletic blockers versus the old mold of linemen that we saw who were big-bodied bruisers. I'm all for signing a few veteran players, but are we going to have to retool this position group entirely? Not entirely. Uh, I, I still think I'd set the over-under at two and a half new starters on the offensive line. Austin Jackson has a chance because he's so athletic. Uh, but Austin Jackson, from a play recognition and instinct perspective, needs to be a better football player than what he's been for the Dolphins thus far. Uh, I do think Robert Hunt has some scheme diversity, and I would point no further than Lakin Tomlinson, who played in San Francisco and was a successful player there. When he was drafted out of Duke, he was perceived to be more of a big-bodied bruiser. Uh, and then he goes to San Francisco, and it was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting fit. And then lo and behold, he was fine in the system. At least when you're playing inside, you have bumpers. And Robert's a good enough athlete that he's not going to be a liability in trying to string out the point of attack. And I also think Michael Dieter has a reasonable chance uh, to continue being a player who can make positive contributions for the Dolphins. I know there's a lot of folks that are, are ready for a new center. Um I would understand why they would make a change, but I would not be disappointed if Michael Dieter gets another chance and they go after two big-time offensive tackles. And um, Teron Armstead, you're absolutely right. The athletic profile of the offensive lineman needs to be a lot better. Uh, I don't think the writing on the wall is very favorable for a guy like Solomon Kinley. Uh, but if you went out and you got two offensive tackles, you could tell me you would run it back with Dieter and Hunt, and I would let Austin Jackson and Liam Eikenberg compete at left guard knowing full well you've probably got a $20 million a year player next to him or a $15 million a year player next to him who's a veteran who has plenty of athleticism and is not going to be the liability that the tackles were from a protection standpoint. And I'd feel pretty good about that group with two new starting offensive tackles and let the best man win out of Jackson and Eikenberg. So... It's going to be a work in progress, but I I wouldn't expect them to come in with four new starters this year. Uh, D Leon fifty four. Uh, power to the pod question: 
What would be your dream pick for the Dolphins at 29? And what would be your Charles Harris pick? Oh, there's that name again. For those of you uninitiated, um, the 2017 draft was the first year I did a draft show, an actual show online. We did streaming for all three days for all the picks. And um, my co-host on Draft Dudes, who's my best friend, and he's unfortunately a a fan of the team from Western New York, and that is what it is, but we love him anyway. Uh, Host on Locked On Bills, uh, Joe Marino, we're in the elevator on the way down to the studio for day one of the show. And he asked me, okay, what's your worst case scenario pick that you think is realistic? And I said, Charles Harris. And of course, that became the pick, and that was the absolute worst case scenario. So now, every time we get around to March and April, And the question is, who's this year's Charles Harris for you? And I feel like this is going to be like a probably feel like a lame uh, cop out, but it's early in this process for me. And what I can tell you from what my work over the draft network has allowed me to do, and we have a, a team of six scouts on staff at the draft network. We divide the country up amongst us and we watch players within our regions for the season, the summer and the season. And then when it the season ends, those are the first players that we do our write-ups on and we grade them across 10 traits and give them a grade out of 100. We started that process in mid-November and that process closed the first week in, second week in January. Over that stretch of time, I did 100 players within my region. First round guys all the way down to UDFAs. And when that process ended, then we went to... We stacked everybody's grades together and we started at the top and we started watching guys to cross check. So I'm not necessarily responsible for writing a scouting report for Evan Neal, who's not in my region, but I get to watch the tape and then I get to give him a grade. So that way, when we get to April, everybody has seen approximately 250 to 300 players and given them grades. I'm not deep enough in this process yet to, to say with confidence who my worst case scenario realistic choice would be at 29. I would say Bernard Raymond, uh, the directional Michigan offensive tackle. He's played offensive tackle for two years. He's a stylistic fit for wide zone systems, uh, but I just would be apprehensive because he's only played offensive tackle for two years. That's an early answer to that, but it's, it's, I'm not quite ready to give you the full deep dive into that discussion just yet. I got to watch some more of the guys who are contenders for back end of the first round. Uh, this question comes from Krill. I'm just going to call it, call you Krill. Love the podcast. Keep in mind, I'm writing this review prior to the offensive line episode. So I haven't gotten a chance to hear your opinion opinions. I recently saw some analysis talking about how our former offensive line coach, coach Lem, who's still on the team as an assistant, was a disciple of Tom Cable, a man with, let's say, controversial techniques and schemes at best for offensive line play. And you saw those techniques on our film with this offensive line, often immediately preceding them getting blown out on the play. So you combine subpar technique being taught along with lack of any sort of veteran presence, and I feel like this might explain a lot of the woes on the offensive line this year and seeing regression in certain players. As such, I'm coming around to the position that there might be more talent on the offensive line than the stats and the game take would indicate. Obviously, going out and getting at least two vets is imperative. Okay, so we're on the same page as far, but I think there might be more there than we realize. What is your opinion? I agree with you. Uh, Like, Lee Meikenberg was a super high-floor player and didn't come into Miami and just forget how to play football. 
yes, there's a transition and a level of competition jump that took place. And you acknowledge those things and it makes sense. You know, life's a little harder, but there's zero realities that we should have experienced that Liam Eikenberg was a complete and total liability as an offensive line. Zero. That should not have been a possible outcome for us. Austin Jackson, raw, toolsy. I get it. I never thought the polish for him was at a very high level. So I wasn't surprised that he struggled. Robert Hunt, I thought, really settled in. Um, and again, Michael Dieter, I, th I think, was fine when he played, but he needed a redshirt year in 2020 after starting for 2019. Austin Jackson is a football player who's physically more talented than what he has been able to showcase. And Liam Eikenberg is physically more talented than what he showcased last year. That's your starting left side of your line. Now, it's not acceptable for us to assume they're just going to figure it out and run it back and throw them out there and say, oh, with better coaching, they'll be fine. No, because you know what we did? That's what we did last year. We went out and got another guy, another rookie. We didn't really address offensive tackle outside of that. And Liam was really drafted to be an interior guy. We, we swung low and swung cheap, and, and it's hard to fault them for doing that, saying, oh, yeah, we'll go out and get Isaiah Wilson. Well, guess what? Isaiah Wilson doesn't want to play football. Isaiah wants, Wilson wants to be a rapper. Well, we'll go out and we'll get DJ Fluker. Well, DJ Fluker failed his medical or failed his physical, and the team parted ways with him, and they didn't feel like he was in shape. And as a result, even though they needed help, they went a different direction anyway. So we can't, as, as the general manager of the team, Chris Greer has to have that cognitive awareness and not allow that same mistake to happen again. And I'm confident that he won't, especially because the scheme change is going to prompt some big changes uh, for how they play the, the, the position. Uh, speaking of big changes, just got a delivery of some puffs, some built puffs, which are phenomenal. Built bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They have 100% chocolate on all, your, all their bars. The Built Puffs are like uh, indescribably good. <laughs> they, they are my absolute favorite, and they're like 120 calories for a, a, a package. So they're super low in calories, good snack for you. I eat them after workouts too. I eat them as morning snacks. I eat them as midnight snacks. There's Whole, whole bunch of different excuses that I have to come up with, with eating built. So you can visit built.com, use promo code LOCK15, and save 15% off your next order. That is built.com, promo code LOCK15, to save 15% off your next order, the world's most delicious protein bar. Not a question, but just a, a great review from Nick. Really appreciate it. Don't have any questions at this time. Wanted to rate the show. Five stars. Kyle's prepared. Gives great insight. This sound, podcast is the soundtrack to my warning workout routine and a must for any Dolphins fan. Right on, man. I honestly, I'm I'm impressed you guys can listen to my voice for a podcast for your workout stuff. I got to have like the music at a 12 out of 10 and something that goes hard. So hopefully my soothing tones, Nick, are giving you a great pump this morning or a great sweat if you're, you're doing cardio. And uh, keep going. You're almost there. Uh, man Dorino with the next review. And the, the title is uh, Comeback Miracles, question mark, exclamation point. Ah, I see what this is. Five stars, easy decision, good stuff. Love the show. Question, is it remotely possible that Sam Maddy 
can turn the BB gun Noah Igbenogany into a bona fide bazooka of a player. He hasn't lost that raw talent and athleticism. Is it possible that he just needs the right coach to carry him to the promised land? I don't recall ever seeing a similar case, but hey, maybe you have. Um, no, I mean, this is a long shot at this point, right? The, the development from year one to year two didn't leap the way that we hoped it would, and ball skills and instincts are, uh, they still got a long way to go. Um, but Noah, from a financial standpoint, I think makes sense to continue to be on the team. I did think, and everybody's probably going to roll their eyes because nobody appreciates special teams. Um, when he got a chance to get out there and serve on the kick teams and serve as a gunner in that regard, I thought he did reasonably well. I thought his athleticism showed, his physicality and size showed. Um, you didn't draft a player at that spot at 30 overall to play gunner on special teams. I get it. I get it. But the question is, how can you maximize his potential and get some level of a return on investment before you have an opportunity which it makes sense to go in a different direction and potentially build some confidence, build him up as a player. And I think special teams this past year was maybe a good opportunity to do that. Um, I still think a, a transition to safety should not be considered out of the realm of possibility. Uh, that's a whole different can of worms as far as getting involved in the fits and being active in the box and processing run keys versus pass keys and getting up to the line of scrimmage to be able to tackle. Um, that's a whole challenge. And that's why the dolphins in year one with Noah didn't try to play him in the slot. Um, but if Noah's going to make it, it's probably going to have to be in the slot or at safety for Miami, unless they get their hands on him and it blows him out of the water in, in training camp this year. Uh, Jazzy Rick, we got, Lord have mercy. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven more to go. <laughs> this is why we didn't do it live. You guys brought the heat again this week. Okay, so Jazzy Rick, let's get as many of these as we, in as we can. Really dig your show when it comes to Dolphins Podcast. Really appreciate that. Been listening to you for a while now and also check you out on Joe Rose's show when you're a guest. Been a Dolphins fan since 72. Thumbs up for me. Wife's flying down at least once a year, except during the pandemic. We also don't miss a Baltimore Ravens game. We're only an hour and 10 minutes away. Okay. Um, oh, you're in Wilmington. Wilmington's probably 15 minutes from me, up 95. Rick, so let's let's try and find an excuse for you know whether we go to the the uh, Dolphins NYC thing this next year or whatever. Let's try and find a chance to run into each other, Rick. All the best. Fins up to you, man. Uh, AL Dolphin review on the show. Commented a few times, but with the respectfully disagree angle, thought I would take part, but don't discount my exponential appreciation your perspective and insight you're buttering me up i don't i don't know where you're going here but we're going to find out disagree mid-season with your thoughts of making a change whether it be coach flow or chris greer i do believe the momentum was moving in the right direction that said i will wholeheartedly agree with the cautionary optimism is the ideal approach with coach mcdaniel let's hope we found our guy okay respected you sir are in the drawing for the march uh, hashtag West believes tool will be great. 
Kyle, loved all your work. Have been following you for a long time, going back to your NDT scouting days. Appreciate you following. Uh, I've always wanted to do what you do and work in the world of football, but never took the jump. My birthday just passed, and I've dedicated my life to doing what I love. I would drop everything and go wherever needed to work under you and start a career in the field that I love. Would love to know if this is a possibility. Well, first and foremost, appreciate you, you know, following along with my journey and my pathway. And uh, uh, I'm glad that I could provide some semblance of, of inspiration for you. Uh, I would say this. Getting started is the hardest part. But with the way that the internet is these days, there's no reason why you can't create that portfolio for yourself. Um, I don't have any opportunities here with Locked On Dolphins or TDN at the moment, but building that resume for when those opportunities do arise is is critical. You know, I I did that. I worked a full-time job for a couple of years and did NDT scouting when I got home. And I know for for different people, there's logistics that are challenging for there. And any advice that I can give uh, to any one of you from a personal perspective on how to, to position yourself to do something like this, if, if, if it's what you want, please reach out. We'll be more than happy to, you know, kind of brainstorm uh, with you. You know, I, this was the life of an entrepreneur that I had for myself that eventually led to me being in the chairs that I am in now. Um, but you got to take that first step and you got to be willing uh, to somehow, some way, create that portfolio for yourself. So that way, when opportunities do come knocking or are open, you can say, here's what I'm capable of. Let me show you what I can do. And then imagine what I can do if I have more time to do it. Jay Waddle, the man. Review of the show. Kyle, if the Dolphins were looking to draft a running back, who do you like best with the Dolphins out of the following three? Isaiah Spiller, Brees Hall, and Kenneth Walker. I absolutely love Brees Hall. Love the show. Keep up the good work. So I've done the full deep dive on Kenneth Walker. I've seen enough of Spiller and enough of Brees Hall to have a general temperature on both guys, but I have not done my full deep dive all 22 study on either one of those two players at this point in time. Spiller's next week for me. I think Hall's the week after that. Um, I think Spiller probably has the best every down potential out of these three guys. I am fascinated to see how Brees Hall tests at the NFL Combine. I know from his production – he was very, very productive in that zone system at Iowa State running off tackle. That's of interest to the Dolphins. If he tests well, he might challenge Miami for being a projection to the best fit. I love Kenneth Walker, but I think he is a primary featured runner in the early downs and in short yardage. Uh, I think he's very dynamic. Uh, he's not afraid of running physical, but I did not see a resume that showcase third down skills. And if you're going to draft a running back in the first two rounds, which is probably where we would be having this conversation for the Dolphins, I think you're, you would like to get a back that can contribute on all three downs to match that investment total. One, two, three, three to go. We're going to get them. We're going to get them all. My disagreement, very small. Shout out to you for do, you doing this every day. I'm sure it can be a real grind at times. Here's the thing, though. Uh, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And talking Dolphins football, I, I could literally sit on here and do it two hours a day. Now, my schedule 
doesn't allow me to do that. My my wife and my daughter certainly don't allow me to do that. They're dragging me upstairs. Hey, it's time for dinner. Let's go to the park. Um, but I love what I do, and I'm incredibly blessed. A time where I disagreed with you would probably be regards to Mitchell Trubisky coming becoming a backup here in Miami, although I do agree with him going to the Giants as somewhere where he could start. The same could be said about Miami, although I am rooting for Tua with all that I have. If he does not make a decent leap next year, I assume he is finished. It would be nice to have Trubisky as the backup to see what he can do uh, at being a starting quarterback with a second chance. I think that's fair. Uh, I certainly think, you know, if a player or quarterback wanted to sign a two-year deal in Miami and, and understood that there was some skepticism and Tua has an injury history uh, that that is at least needs to be acknowledged, um, that they would potentially want to come here and bet on themselves. They could. Uh, but for Mitch... Um, that relationship that he had with Brian Dable, I think it really carries a lot of weight. Now, if Dable had come here, I would be very, very ready to say, yeah, you know, don't don't discount Mitch Trubisky as a potential backup in Miami this year uh, because of that relationship. That's all. But I think I think we we have the same thought process. Finkel is Einhorn 13. Uh, please thank Chris, our producer over on Draft Dudes, for mentioning the restructure option tab on Over the Cap and having a lot of fun simulating offseason scenarios regarding the cap. I think people are underestimating how much cap the Dolphins actually have. I know we have the most in the league, but it's not even close for how much we can make. There are a lot of players with non-guaranteed money that, in my opinion, shouldn't be on the team or can be replaced by a minimum salary player. We also have Byron Jones and or Zavian's contract to restructure. If we needed up to an extra $17 million, we can most com- we could comfortably fit Emmanuel Logba, Raheem Mostert, Chris Godwin, Dalton Schultz, Tron Armstead, Anthony Walker, Scott Questenberry, Mason, or, um, Ty- Tyrell Crosby, Del- Dennis Kelly for right tackle under the cap with restructure of just one of the CBs and cutting some waste. Didn't really have a question, but our flexibility is amazing right now. It's one of the things Greer has really excelled at. Since I should ask you a question, what kind of return do you think we could expect in draft picks from a franchise tag and trade of Mike Gusecki? Okay. So, yes, the Dolphins have exponential cap flexibility. The way they've structured their contracts under this regime is one of the best things about the way this regime has done business. There's no question. No. Can... People want to say that the salary cap is not real because teams manipulate it every year and they get under cap. But look at what the New Orleans Saints have had to let walk away from their team over the course of the last two years, and now they're very extremely top-heavy. I think they have nine players under contract that are getting $10 million or more uh, this upcoming season from a cap hit perspective, and like the next highest-paid guy is like $3 million. And Drew Brees had to retire. For that to materialize, you're probably going to let Jameis Winston walk. Uh, and if you don't let Jameis Winston walk, then you're going to let Teron Armstead walk, and you're going to let Marcus Williams walk. Like, yeah, okay, like last year you were $111 million under, and you got back over, and you got back under the cap. That's great, but now this year you're $75 million over the cap again, and you're going to have to restructure all over again, and it's going to whittle away at you. Now, if you want to be a team that says, we're going to defer, 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 we're going to tear it all down, we're going to take two years, and then we're going to build up and cycle again, and then we're going to defer, 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 and we'll have four rebuilding years every 12 years. So be it. I think that's what you see the Philadelphia Eagles do. Oh, they built up 15. They made the trade for the quarterback in 2016. They build up, build up, build up, build up. 
Uh, they won a Super Bowl in that stretch, and then they've torn it down to the point where they now have – they traded away Carson Wentz as their starting quarterback. They made a coaching change. Uh, Nick Sirianni, a, a surprise, unheralded hire, uh, and they got three first-round picks. Now, lo and behold, they still made the playoffs at 9-8. and eight. They got boat raced, but they overachieved a little bit made the playoffs. And now they're in build mode. And they'll build up and they'll spend aggressively. And then probably six, seven years from now, they'll have their Super Bowl window that opens and closes, and then they got to do it all over again. What the Dolphins have been able to do is they have built, but they have not compromised. And when they were a team in the past that was up against the glass ceiling and you could restructure two guys, make enough room to sign one big name, but then you let two second-tier guys walk out the door that would go somewhere else and they'd end up being better players. And it was like, well shit, we let the good guys walk out the door because we wanted to sign the big guy. And it impacted their depth to the point where they finally had to bite the bullet, rip the Band-Aid off, and, and tear it all down. Uh, but I agree with you wholeheartedly that the cap flexibility the Dolphins have is one of the absolute best things this regime has done since 2019. The last one comes from David, and we're going to try and get it done under 45 minutes. I know the Fridays are a marathon. Let's go. Kyle, love the show. First heard about you on the Five Six Kings podcast and have been hooked ever since. What would you think about sending Byron Jones and Austin Jackson to Detroit for Taylor Decker and Jeff Akuda? Is it realistic that Detroit would go for this? Am I undervaluing Byron? Love your take on this. Um, okay, so Decker is the better offensive tackle. Byron Jones is the better corner but Jeff Akuda was a top three pick and Byron Jones is more expensive I think Byron's the most expensive player in the deal I think you would have to you would have to give another valuable piece for this to even be entertained in my mind and Byron Jones for a team that's rebuilding in Detroit Byron Jones is going to be 30 this year versus Akuda who was the a rookie in 2020 so they get younger at tackle, but they also have Penny Sewell. Is Penny, if they move Decker, is Sewell going to take left tackle? And then it can, and what is their use for Austin Jackson? I don't, I'd be surprised if they bid at something like this, to be honest with you. I think they would have to give like a really good piece on top of this to make it happen. I hope this was a really good piece of podcasting to finish your weeks here on Locked on Dolphins. Uh, these are always fun. They're a ton of blast catching up with you guys. And I am thankfully all caught up with iTunes reviews, which is a weight off my shoulders because I knew it was in the hole last week. And then you guys came full court press again. So uh, apologies. Uh, I hope those of you who do watch on YouTube, I hope you enjoyed, even though I didn't pull any from the chats and the comment section. We'll be back next week though. Don't worry. Uh, Kyle Krabs, keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Make it a good one. I'll talk with you guys again tomorrow.